You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Think again with Borderlands Cooperative. Join us for critical conversations about things that matter. Every Friday at 10am on 3CR Community Radio. 855am on your dial. And on 3CR Digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. So together, let's think again about important matters affecting us, like economics, politics, education, health, climate, and what we can do about it all. Welcome to our 76th program of Think Again, our 31st remote program still in the time of the coronavirus, now called COVID Normal. Think Again is produced by Borderlands Cooperative, an organization that's been dedicated to social change for about 23 years. Mm-hmm. I'm Jacques Boulet. And, and I'm Jennifer Burrell. This week, we're taking a deep breath and a leap of faith, hoping that everyone isn't too sick of the US elections and their still pending resolution to have us talk about it all over again. We're also taking a punt that we have something new to add. The US elections have been pretty riveting, I think, but can they tell us anything about the Australian political scene? That's the question. Possibly the US elections, even if they were a bit of a democracy pawn, (laughs) they can help uh, general thinking about democracy and what really happens in our systems and the ways in which we are being governed. Mm, So here we go. For this program, we were inspired, or should I say provoked, by an interesting article in Mother Jones that Jacques picked up. Mother Jones, apart from being a well-known historical labour activist in the States, is a left-of-centre US publication that's been around since the mid-70s. So we looked at an article by David Korn titled... Is Joe Biden bringing a knife to a gunfight? So, to sum it up, David Korn argues that the ongoing Democratic fight with the Republicans is an unequal fight, as the Republicans have been fighting really dirty for some time now, long before Donald Trump came onto the scene. And long before Trump kept hugging that scene for four long years. (laughs) So David Korn warns that Biden and the Democrats should not take a knife to a gunfight. Mm. Playing on something one of the main Jane Bond characters said in one of their many movies. Yeah, that's right. Korn outlined some really dirty electioneering by the Republicans since 2000, including a fake public protest peopled by... Republican staffers during a recount in Florida aimed at shutting down vote counting and hence losing Al Gore's election win. Mm. A smear campaign of John Kerry based on lies in 2004. Yeah, and then there was Sarah Palin accusing Barack Obama of cozying up to terrorists in 2008. And in 2012, some Republican willingness to go along with Trump's racist Mm. Bertha conspiracy theory. The Bertha conspiracy, of course, was the false claim that Obama was ineligible to be president of the United States because he wasn't the national-born citizen of the US. Yeah, with that... That myth discarded when it was no longer useful, I guess. Mm, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you, you could describe this tactic as 
if you can't find muck, make it up. And some of it will stick anyway. And you could also describe it as only winning matters, and it doesn't matter how you do the winning, which is the subtext in Trump's justly infamous book about the art of the deal. Mm. And then Korn, in his article, he describes how during the Obama administration, the Republicans reached new heights of obstructionism, for example, obstructing a much-needed stimulus bill after 2008 global financial crash. Yeah, under Obama, the Republicans also obstructed immigration and health care reforms, and they threatened a financial crisis over the debt ceiling so the government could not go to funds needed for post-disaster work. Mm -hmm. And then there were what's known as the Benghazi hearings, and these were aimed at damaging Hillary Clinton's future presidential prospects. She was cleared, of course, but as I said before, mud sticks and probably served its purpose. Mm, I guess most Australians wouldn't have followed the detail of all of this, but yeah, David Korn is painting a picture showing us that the dirty tactics by the US Republican Party to gain and keep power and or to undermine the Democrats predate Trump by a long way. So Donald Trump is a continuation rather than an aberration. As for Trump's own tactics, we probably do know a bit more about them because they're recent and out there blatantly. Yeah, that's right. As David Korn describes it in his article, quote, Trump is now striving to undermine the country's political system by hurling false accusations of fraud regarding the 2020 election results, unquote. And he says, quote, no democratic president or leader has ever engaged in such hate-filled action and rhetoric. No democratic president or leader has ever cast the other side as a vicious enemy bent on the destruction of the United States. Mm. And then Korn names the Republicans who are enabling Trump in his unfounded legal challenges to the election of Joe Biden and the Democrats. Again, to quote Korn, quote, they are hobbling a transfer of power during a national emergency, referring to COVID, of course, yeah. and they are fueling baseless paranoia and distrust among the, mili the millions who voted for Trump himself, which could impede the governance of the nation and render its political discourse even more poisonous, unquote. Mm -hmm. And to let that sink in a bit, on that note, let's go to some musical notes. Solia by Tamara Murphy, Phil Bywater and Daniel Farugia Contingent. And that will be followed by a promo.
Join me at your cry with Ubuntu Voices. Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. on 3CR. Ubuntu is a Zulu word meaning I am here because you are. Ubuntu celebrates the positive contribution African Australians make to our communities in music, academia, the arts and everything in between. Come with me on a journey. Ubuntu Voices every Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. None of us are free, one of us is chained, none of us are free. You're listening to Think Again, 3CR 855 AM on your dial, 3CR digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au. Today we're talking about an article by David Korn in Mother Jones' journal, and we're wondering if the recent US elections can tell us anything about politics in general and possible parallels uh, about pol- or with politics in Australia. Mm. Well, we know that jo- Joe Biden and the Democrats will need to work with Republicans when he does pick up the reins as president. David Korn suggests that Joe Biden shouldn't play nice and that maybe now is not the time for Biden to call out the heavy artillery. So what do you think of that, Jacques, especially with that military language? Mm. It's probably saying that it is at the moment not the time, but later it may be. So first of all, there seems to exist a Republican tradition of not really adhering to a modicum of, let's call it, respectful politicking. And that started even earlier with Nixon and Reagan, for example. However, the level of unruly, direct and brutal antagonism started and sustained by Trump for all these years is quite extraordinary. And as well, the majority of Republican politicians and commentators and media supporters who are vocal about this seem to fully agree with Trump's Twitterish shenanigans, Mm. apart from a few exceptions, really. It's quite extraordinary unless one looks at it as a particularly vile expression of a long-term existing habit or culture. Mm. So I guess, Jacques, you'd agree with David Korn that what the Republicans are doing isn't completely new. It's a continuation of their normal modus operandi, but really ramped up under Trump. So if so, it doesn't bode well for the Democrats being able to do much then, does it? Uh, when they're in government, for example, to do something about climate change, which I, I for one, think that is a good uh, good Mm. move, that the Democrats are coming in even just for climate change alone, even if Mm. while a lot of people are arguing they're not that radical either. Well, Biden needs to be able to work with a Senate that at best, but unlikely, will be a 50-50 split between the Democrats and the Republicans. But more likely, the Senate will still remain under a sliver of Republican control, allowing them to block anything he and his government will come up with. Add to that the the grossly conservative Supreme Court, and he'll have to be saintly patient and silver-tongued to get anything through, Mm -hmm. unless he governed by administrative presidential regulation which in the end is unsustainable in the long run, obviously. So, Jacques, what do you mean by uh, that, by governing by administrative 
presidential regulation? Well, the thing is that under certain conditions and emergencies, they give the president certain powers to legislate and regulate uh, without having to go through the parliament, similar Mm. to what the Morrison government has been doing during COVID here in Australia Mm. when parliament couldn't meet. And also like Obama has done quite often when being blocked by the Senate in Mm. the kinds of things he wanted to come up with. So going back to your question, there will be no use of heavy artillery against the Republicans from the Democrat side, certainly not at the moment. Mm. Apart from the massive systemic collusion his government will be up against, it seems to me that the artillery will at the moment certainly not be the main strategy Biden would use anyway. He he rather seems like a softy, sort of a negotiator, as demonstrated by his patience with Trump's silly prona- pronouncements during the debates. Yeah, the television deba- debates. Mm. I did hear Biden tell Trump to shut up, Jacques, at one stage. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But in my opinion, he just doesn't seem comfortable with that kind of stuff. <laughs> and after being duly elected, Biden's initial attempts were trying to become the waters rather than shoot from the hip. And that may actually work because many Republicans will start to look at the 2022 and 2024 elections. Yeah, so and they try, the, yeah. Two, two twenty, the 2022, they're the mid it's a midterm elections, mm-hmm. that's right. And they try to will try to erase the memories of four remarkably awful years. Indeed, it became totally clear that the US is not a democracy, mm. but it is primarily a republic, with rules set up in such a way that conservative states and their elites will always have an overproportional representation in national politics. So there's that sense of entitlement supported by what I call systemic collusion, Mm. the sense of being the groups and the parties to rule. And we know about that quite a bit in Australia as well, don't we? Yeah, well, that's true. And and we also, Jacques, know that people's realisation that they are being ruled by elites can unfortunately lead to right-wing populism, as Mm. we've seen around Mm. the world. And, and Jacques, do you really, what I want to ask you, do you really think there are parallels in Australia with that blatantly bad political behaviour that we've been seeing in the US? Yeah, it does help to, to have been around for a while and having lived across several countries, especially the US and now Australia for mm. about the last 40 years. And they both represent the Anglosphere as they have come to be called, with a great deal of historical entitlement or the born-to-rule mentality reverberating and persisting in their elites as well as in the population at large when you talk about it internationally, even if that was bound to diminish given migration, multiculturalism and all of these things. During the last 40 or so years, during which I actually, as I said, have lived in the US and here, some very profound shifts have occurred. We can, of course, as we usually do, summarise them as economic rationalism or neoliberalism, but I think it would serve as well to actually spell that out a bit more. Yeah. 
I still vividly remember how during the 60s and the 70s, our ways of thinking about politics and its links with economics, our thinking about inequalities generated by class distinctions, they were very, very much in, newly informed by a revival of Marxism and associated critical perspectives. Mm. So our understanding of politics and economic being hyphenated, that deepened. And we saw how the spheres of the economic and the political very much overlapped rather than being separated. Mm. Indeed, we always talked about political economy with a hyphen between them. And that hyphen was very important to us activists in movements for social and ecological change during that time. Mm. And then, of course, 1980s, Thatcher and Reagan and the Chicago Economics Boys Club happened. Mm. Based on the neoliberal creed, which metaphorically took the hyphen between political and economic away from us, so that even the mild Keynesian social democratic version of the link between politics and economics was rejected, eliminated, disappeared. Mm. The ideas of trickle-down economics suggested that all the necessary resource distribution and income provision would best happen via the market and that the state should just stay out of this. Mm. Hence my metaphor of they pinching the hyphen between <laughs> the political and the economic. <clears throat> yeah, and, and removing that hyphen, they're removing our understanding that politics and economics are intimately intertwined. Absolutely. Yeah. And most of the left of centre parties, they got infected with that bug. Think how Hawke Keating in Australia, mm -hmm. think Blair in the UK, think Clinton and indeed Obama in the United States. And what replaced that hyphen was a hypothetical third way. Quote, unquote, citizens were to fill that void, the void left by the taken away hyphen, with citizenship becoming the site where participation in all manner of public things and processes was to happen. And the left parties could only go along with this. Otherwise, the danger of Keating's banana republic would befall us. Don't we remember him saying that? Mm, yeah, I think everyone who was around in the <laughs> 80s remembers him saying that. Mm. Uh, but, Jacques, um, isn't, that, isn't citizenship part of democracy? Uh, what's wrong with citizenship? Well, it would be, but a depoliticized understanding of citizenship, which is the void also of a real economic or of the real existing political impact, is actually a powerless understanding of citizenship. Yeah. So I guess citizenship could, at its worst, end up being a bit of um, community consultation and... Yep, yep, that kind of stuff. That. Yeah. Hmm. On that note, we'll go to a promo. <laughs> Good. Slavery is back. <laughs> Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, you know, where, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time, 
for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere every Monday at 4pm on your community radio 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. You're listening to Think Again, 3CR 855 AM on your dial, 3CR digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au. Today we're looking at US politics and seeing if there are any parallels with politics here in Australia. So Jacques, continuing our discussion before the break, do you think we can compare the Republicans in the Liberal Party here and the Democrats to the Labor Party in Australia in, in, in terms of what they stand for? I think so. One result of what I said before about the hyphen being pinched was that all political parties were struggling to occupy the centre. Everything needed to be centre-based in politics, the centre of ideological and political opinion and politics. Any deviation to the left of that assumed centre would render you and your party ineligible, yeah, inelectable. Oh, that's right, yeah. And, of course, you'd get the slur of communism and these days they even say socialism is a slur. So mm-hmm. you get the slur of communism or socialism if we dare propose that our commonwealth stops going to a relatively small elite. And also, mm. also Jacques, there's the idea that when people ask for fair distribution of mm. our shared wealth that they're waging class warfare Mm-hmm, that's and, right. And, of course, class warfare has been happening for a while now. It's just that a small wealth and power elite is winning, waging and winning the class war, if you look mm-hmm. at any analysis of the distribution of um, of wealth. That's um, right. And, and, um, and, of course, that elite controls the public discourse, um, right. which hides this, really particularly also with the help of the so-called free press and the other media. I think they should rather be called the owned press. Mm-hmm. They, act, they act as an echo chamber of right-wing politics. The so-called free press, by definition, became the direct expression of what those in power assumed and forcefully maintained was the only way. As Thatcher famously said, Tina there is no alternative, which is sort of like an early version of Make America Great Again, mm. uh, which we heard so, so well too much about, really. <laughs> so it looked as if the... Sorry? Don't say it again. <laughs> <laughs> so it looked as if the Republican liberals, the Republican slash liberals, became the megaphones for capital and the automatic rejectors of anything that smelled like left intervention, like trying to put the hyphen back in political economy, really, mm. which is what we just tried to do, which was and is why and how Democrats and Labour parties always get hamstrung when they try to argue social reform, welfare or health measures. In one word, anything that looks or smells, as you said before, smells like redistribution, sounds like a swear word for the right. Yeah. But Jacques, I'm conscious we're coming to the end of our program now and we didn't get to talk about the really disgraceful political tactics of the Republicans in the US as described by David Korn in Mother Jones 
and what that might say about political tactics here. So that would be interesting to explore mm -hmm. sometime. Mm -hmm. And also we've warned in a past program about dividing the world into goodies and baddies, which I think David Korn actually seems to be doing, uh, even though it's a really interesting article, um, and because that leads to the idea that if we can just get a goodie inverted commas, into power, everything will be okay. And we know mm. we, we work within systems and it doesn't, it's not ever probably that simple. Um, but I think we'll have to leave all that to another program as we've run out of time too soon for us as usual anyway. Yeah, and as for the US situation, there'll be lots more food for thought, I'm sure. Yes. And for our community announcement today, we really want to highlight a good news story, which we think is a good news story. How amazing and how wonderful to hear that the Victorian government is making a major investment in public and social housing. 9,300 new social housing homes and also 2,900 new affordable and low-cost homes for low to moderate income earners now. Mm. I want to say we would like more of that to be going specifically to the building of public housing rather than into that privatised model of social housing. But this is really um, a very dramatic change. So it yeah. is good news. They must have listened to some of our previous programs. <laughs> and, and, and added to that, investment in better insulation and heating and cooling upgrades, close to a billion dollars for mental health, free kinder for three, for three and four-year-olds, new jobs and social services. So it seems like, okay. like an election campaign almost. Great. <laughs> and this should bring hope to all the activists fighting for change when it often seems that the fight is hopeless. Sometimes the planets do line up and all the footwork, years and years and years of it by you know, sometimes, you know, often thousands of people, it pays off. So if you want to thank Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews, you can ring 9651-5000. That's 9651-5000. You could also thank the Housing Minister Richard Wynne or your local state MP, just to encourage them in this direction. Thanks for listening to Think Again on 3CR Community Radio. If you want to send us a message, you can email borderlands at borders at borderlands.org.au. Just put Think Again in the subject line. Our programs are available by podcast and the 3CR website and uh, at 3cr.org.au. And again, we would like, like to thank Clive Bourne for technical production and music selection. Meanwhile, stay tuned for Jailbreak, which gives a voice to prison inmates, their families and their friends. To bring us into this program, please enjoy World Turning by Yothu Yindi. I've been